Hey, everybody, welcome to the Compass Church. Welcome to our series, A Man, a Big Fish, and God's Relentless Pursuit of People. Can I brag on my wife for just a little bit? Jen, last Sunday, actually, right uh, at this time, Last week, she was winning this medal. This is the medal for the Naperville Sprint Triathlon. My wife had never done a triathlon before, and I was just really proud of her. They got three to swim, bike, and run. And uh, a bunch of our neighbors, we were developing friendships with our neighbors, and they all got excited about doing it together. Now, I couldn't because I preach on Sunday, and I was... I was so disappointed, you know. I, I love pain and torture and misery, and, but I had to take a pass, you know. Thank you for providing me a very good uh, out. The one thing I did feel bad about, though, is that I wasn't there to cheer my wife on. Uh, you know, I was here, and I couldn't be there. And when I thought about that, though, I thought maybe God didn't want me there to cheer her on either because the start of the race would have been very difficult for me, uniquely for me. Can I show you a picture? Here's uh, at Centennial Beach, you know, this rock quarry turned into a swimming hole. 2,000 participants charging into this water to swim. Now, I would have struggled with it a lot because I used to be a lifeguard. I mean, I was very much a lifeguard. In fact, for six summers, I was a lifeguard. I actually was a trainer of lifeguards, worked for the Red Cross, training up and commissioning lifeguards. I was the manager of a swimming pool, and so the weight of responsibility for the safety of swimmers is a part of me, you know, and had I been there and saw people climbing on each other and pulling each other and dunking each other in a frantic effort to win a race... I would have been freaking out. You know what I mean? I can't even go to uh, the pool with my kids and enjoy it. I, I go with them and I'm like, Jeff, you don't work here. You don't work here. You know, you're not, there are lifeguards, they're doing their job. And I'm like, don't look, don't look, you know. And all of a sudden a whistle blows and I'm, oh, yeah. And then it's just, it's in me, it's in my blood. Once a lifeguard, always a lifeguard. And, and I'm going to use this prop uh, to kind of illustrate the centrality of saving lives in, in, in my story. Uh, this is just such a big part of what I did for so long that anytime I'm in a water environment, I can't separate myself from this. One way of saying it would be when I'm walking around a lake or a pool area, I'm seeing everything through the lens of rescue and safety. It's just a part of how I view that world now. I want to use this to talk about another salvation as well, and that is our spiritual salvation. You know, it's a good image for what we as Christians have experienced, and that is that we were drowning, morally, spiritually drowning. Our, our rebellion from God uh, separated us from him, and we were crumbling, going down. Our, our lives were headed for an eternity apart from the Lord, and Jesus dove into the waters of our lives to rescue us. And the cross of Christ is a rescue story. 
It's about Christ doing what he could to save us. He died on the cross to pay the death penalty, not for his own rebellion, but for mine as a substitute for me. And since he died on the cross for me, I was rescued, taken out of my sin and brought to a place of safety with God forever. And so it's a salvation story that all of us enjoy. And when you're really connected to your own salvation, you see everything through that salvific lens. It changes the way you view the whole world, as we're about to see. Today's message is entitled, uh, uh, what is it entitled? Could we have the headline up? That would be helpful. God's Salvation, week two of this series on Jonah. All right, shall we dive in? Last week, I, I told you that each week we're going to deal with a new chapter of this book. It's four chapters, four weeks. Works nicely. Though, one caveat, I failed to read one verse last week in chapter one. So let's start with the last verse of chapter one. Jonah one seventeen, found on page 926 in your Bible in front of you. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. This is the part of the story we remember so well. Let me just jump into this miraculous. There are are skeptics among us who say, please tell me you don't believe that really happened. You know people don't live in the belly of a fish for three days or three nights. I just want to acknowledge that this is a miracle. The Bible records many miracles, events that are contrary or supersede the laws of nature by the power of God. And this is clearly one of the great miracles of Scripture. And I want to point out one thing. It says, the Lord provided a huge fish. It's a weird word. You know, if if you were gobbled up by a fish, would you say, oh, The Lord provided a fish. But this is the provision of God. This is the grace of God. God's doing a work, a blessing, a transformational process in the life of Jonah. Jonah needs to be transformed. Do you remember why? Jonah's heart for people far from God is, is just not where it needs to be. He was a preacher, and God had given him an unexpected assignment and said, I have a new city I want you to move to. I want you to go to Nineveh. And, and Jonah was like, what? Nineveh's the worst of the worst. They're the most despicable, godless, pathetic, awful people on planet Earth. Let them rot. And God says, oh, no, 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 I love them. And I'm going to send them one of my best, Jonah, you. Go. And we're talking about evangelism. Evangelism is simply the process of helping people find God. And that's what Jonah was assigned, and he wanted no part of it. Jonah had the audacity to look the Almighty God in the eyes and say, no, I won't do it. And Jonah took off running away from Nineveh, boarded a ship, was headed to Tarshish on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. And what we studied last week in chapter 1 just cracks me up. Here this guy trying to flee from being an evangelist unintentionally 
becomes an evangelist. On that boat, he was surrounded by all of these pagan sailors. And wouldn't you know, with the Lord's help, God used the circumstances and God worked in the hearts of the people. And wouldn't you know, there was an evangelistic revival that took place on that boat. And the unintentional evangelist reaped much fruit. What did that tell us? It tells us that anybody can do it. If God's helping, anybody can do it. Even you. That's the first thing that Jonah learned is that, yes, he can do this with God's help. But the second thing that he needs to learn is that he's rescued. In fact, this whole thing here is about God continuing to teach Jonah. And God says, Jonah, you need to be rescued. He was thrown over that boat based on his own suggestion, tossed into the waters, was drowning. And what we realize here is that this fish was a rescue fish, a lifeguard fish, if you will. And Jonah saw it when Jonah was down at the bottom of the sea and suddenly swallowed by a fish. And he's in the fish, and he's like, wow, the hours keep passing, and I'm not dying. What's up with this? At a certain point, Jonah realized this is a miracle. I'm swept up in a miracle. I'm going to live. God sent this fish to save my life. And so God wanted Jonah to experience salvation. And the other thing God's providing is ample opportunity to think about it. Are you with me? Three days and three nights. I mean, what do you do in a fish? What are your options? No TV, no computer, no phone, no checkers, no people, no nothing. He was forced into solitude where all he could do was think and pray. Have you ever done solitude before? Solitude's powerful, painful for some of you raving extroverts, but it has a way of changing you as you can meditate and pray with the Lord in a special way. And Jonah probably wasn't into solitude, but it wasn't given a choice here. And God said, Jonah, I want you to meditate on what just happened. And as we're about to see, Jonah did just that. We're going to join Jonah. Are you ready? I want you to meditate on salvation. I want you to pretend you're in the fish. Maybe you're not fully cooked yet. Maybe you've got a lot of work that needs to be done in your heart regarding being an evangelist. Uh, remember these magnets uh, that we gave? Where is mine? Oh, here it is. Last week, I, I made the challenge. Let's put it up. Last week, I said, hey, pick up one of these magnets, write down your neighbors, put on your refrigerator as a reminder to pray for their salvation, and then reach out to them relationally as the Lord prompts. You know what? We have a ton of magnets left over from last week. That tells me something. Some of you walked right past, you know, silly magnet, I'm not in that. I don't know. Some of you were like, sweet, a magnet, I'm going to write the names, get out your Sharpie, and you're writing them down, you're praying for them, you are a passionate evangelist. Many of you have some work to be done in your heart, and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that magnet, yeah, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it now, didn't even remember what the series was about until you mentioned it even now. It may just be that your evangelistic fire could use a little stoking. And so sit in the fish with Jonah, shall we? All right, let's turn now 
to chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Not a lot of options. One of the good ones is prayer. And that's exactly what Jonah did. And now as this chapter progresses, you may be unaware that the second chapter of Jonah, all it is, is the content of Jonah's prayer. We get a window into his heart, into his mind, into his cry to the Lord. And the content of Jonah's prayer is amazing. So verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Folks, I'm, I'm excited to point out that in this prayer, what we see is five times Jonah says the same thing. Five times he marvels at his own salvation. Different words, some of them a little more descriptive than others, but you'll see it repeated five times. I'll point that out. Here's the first one. He said, I was in distress. I was sinking to the bottom of the ocean. I was dying. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. He came to my rescue. He saved me, saved my life. Can't believe it. Let's turn to the second part of verse 2 to see the second expression of this. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Jonah says, I can't believe that you listened to my cry. You know, what do you call the bottom of the ocean down there? That's the realm of the dead. That's where people die. And Jonah said, I was on the verge of death. I called for help, and God came to my aid. Verse 3, here's the third time. He says, God, you hurled me into the depths, um, into the very heart of the seas. It's getting vivid here. The currents swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said to myself, I have been banished from your sight. And yet, I will look again to your holy temple. He said, I thought I was dead. He goes, I I thought God had banished me from his sight. I thought God rejected me and wanted nothing to do with me and that my life was over. I was wrong. Jonah said, you love me, don't you, God? You rescued me. I will live on. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'll see your holy temple again. I thought my life was over, but it lives, I live on. Here's the fourth time. Look at verse 5. In the, if you can't swim and you get a little weirded out by a drowning concept, you may want to plug your ears, all right? Because this is pretty intense. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Deep, you know, if you imagine Jonah getting gobbled by the fish at the surface, uh uh-uh. He was drowning. He was swirling down deeper, in fact, to the very bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, Brought my life up from the pits. Can you say that about your own story? Lord, you brought my life up from the pit. You saved me when it was over and I was panicked. I called out. I never dreamed you'd hear me, but you saved me. Here's the fifth time he describes it. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And somehow my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. My life was ebbing away. I was on the brink of death. And you came to mind. This may be my only hope. 
And I cried out. You know what faith is? Faith is saying, help. (laughs) It's that simple. It's saying, Lord, I count on you. You're my only hope. That's faith. The dependent gaze upon a saving God, A.W. Tozer said. And he did that. And God somehow heard. And God came to the rescue. Isn't that beautiful? And so Jonah's just meditating on this and thinking about this rescue again and again and again. And you know, that has an effect on you. When, when your own rescue is so real to you, it changes the way you see everything. And so we're imagining we're in the belly of the fish and that we're meditating on our own salvation, our own rescue, so that it's real to us. We're... Uh, Uh, we celebrated communion. What is communion? It's a chance to meditate on our own rescue and to let it be real because it changes things. What does it change? Let me provide a four-part outline of what we see differently. When salvation is real to you, when it's really near and dear that that I was saved, it changes the way you see yourself, first of all. How do you see yourself? You see yourself as the saved one, the rescued one. Who am I? I I'm a drowning victim who was saved by Jesus Christ. Jonah viewed himself before as the almighty preacher, holier than thou, the Ninevites, ew. But now he's like, you know what? I'm just like them. I'm a wicked sinner saved by God's gracious work in my life. And folks, that needs to be our view of ourselves. If if we're going to do evangelism, we cannot view ourselves as holier than thou, all those sinful people who say naughty words. You know, I am such a good person. No. You are like them. I am like them. Imagine, this is a good practice, imagine where your life would be without Jesus Christ. Who would you be? What would you be without his saving work? You'd be toast, you'd be lost, you'd be drowning. But by his grace, you've received something you didn't deserve. New life, eternal life in Christ. So when we look to others, we don't say, oh, I'm so much better. We say, no, but for the grace of God, that's my life right there. There's a humility and identification with the lost that will prepare you to be an evangelist. Well, what's the next? Uh, the next thing I want to point out to is not only will you see yourself differently, you'll see others. It'll change the way you see others. And that's evident as Jonah's prayer continues. Let's, let's read the next verse. Jonah says, uh, those who cling to worthless idols, that's those who are spiritually lost, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah used to view the people in Nineveh as just nasty. And now he says, I've come to realize God loves them. In fact, God is reaching out with his love to them, but they're turning away from it. It's being extended to them, this great expression of love, this rescue that could be theirs. And Jonah's like, oh, they're turning the wrong way. If they would just turn to this loving God, they could be saved. Was he thinking about the Ninevites like that before? No, no, no. This is a new perspective. And when we look at people far from God, how many of them are hopeless? None. 
Christ died for the world, and salvation through him is extended to everybody. And so we don't see hopeless people. We see potentially saved people. Every single one of them, no matter how messed up they are, we're like, oh yeah, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He came for folks just like that person. And so we need to see potential salvation in every person. When you see that family member or that neighbor or that coworker who's so far from God, you look at them and you say, man, I, I know that God loves them. And he's extending his love right now. They're turning away from it to worthless idols. But if they will only turn, God... And the hope, the potential that's found in every lost person, it grips us, it moves us. It's how we see them now. Thirdly, changes the way you see life. You know, we are very self-centered people naturally. We're like, I don't care about anybody else. But when you've been rescued, when you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you see life different. Look at what Jonah says next. Verse 9. He says, but I with shouts of grateful praise. Boy, his gratitude for his salvation is exploding, shouting. I will sacrifice to you. God, I used to be so selfish. Now I say, take my life. It's a sacrifice to you. He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. Apparently, in the fish, Jonah changed his mind. And he said, God, I had told you I wouldn't go to Nineveh. Now I vow I will obey you, and I'm going to make good on that. Jonah's had a complete turnaround. He is now so grateful for his salvation that his gratitude is fueling obedience, selfless, sacrificial obedience. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, And Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Isn't that great? Our life is a response, a grateful response to what's been done for us. I used to view my life all about me. Now I say, Jesus, take my life. How can I live for you? And our evangelism is born out of gratitude, obedience. I'm gonna, that's what you're about? Well, then I'm going to be about that too because I owe you everything. You saved me. You see that? You see yourself different. You see others different. You see life different. You see God different. Look at how Jonah sees the Lord. Look at the, this is the end of his prayer. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. What a simple statement, but yet so profound. Salvation, this rescue business, you know where the rescue business comes from? It comes from God. In other words, this is what God does. We have a rescuing God. He's a lifeguard God. Salvation is his specialty. And Jonah used to view God as uninterested in saving those far from God. The Ninevites, God doesn't care about them. Wrong. Now Jonah says, Lord, I understand you now that salvation is what you do. And so we view God. He's the saving God. You know, when I think of God, I think of him with the ring buoy. And you should too, saying, hey, I'm all about bringing salvation to those in need. And so what happens when you view yourself this way and you view others this way and you view life this way and you view God this way? What happens is that opportunity for evangelism, passion for evangelism, inclination for evangelism just occurs all over the place. And uh, I'd like to share with you about just a little victory 
uh, in my life. Uh, it's, it's a small one, but it's a victory. Uh, you should be encouraged. You, you see the mess I am, but I'm heading in the right direction. I'm getting better, all right? And you should know that. Um, I've been meditating on evangelism and the preparation of this series and the, and the preaching of this series so far, and my preoccupation with salvation is shifting my perspective, evidenced by the fact that I went to the Cubs game Tuesday. And you said, I'm not seeing it. Let me explain. So somebody in this church, and I love you, can I just say it, gave me two tickets to the Cubs game on Tuesday. They won them. And either they don't love the Cubs that much or they just love me a lot. Either way, I'm good with it. And they passed them my way, which was such a blessing. And then I had to think about, all right, I'm going to the Cubs game Tuesday. Who am I going to invite? And I picked up my cell phone, and immediately Andy came to mind. Andy over here in the front row has been a dear friend of mine for decades, and he loves the Cubs, and he loves Jesus, and in that order. uh, No, that's not true. And I just said, I want to go to the Cubs game with Andy. And, And I was just about to call him when the Holy Spirit stopped my finger. And all of a sudden, I'm like, hear God saying to my heart, Jeff, why is it always about hanging with your Christian friends? I like my Christian friends, Lord. They're really cool, and they're fun to be around. Salvation, son, salvation, salvation. I'm like, what do the Cubs have to do with salvation? And I just felt God say, come on, Jeff, this is an opportunity to reach out to someone who doesn't know the Lord yet. And I'm like, really? By the way, Andy's good with this. We've worked through this already, and he <laughs> understands it's not my rejection, it's the Lord's rejection. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a friend came to mind, a friend who I've just developed friendship with in the last year, doesn't go to our church, doesn't go to any church, but I've had some rich conversations with him where You know, he's trying to process his own church upbringing, his own conception of who God is and what it means to be in Christian community, what it means to trust Christ. And I'm like, he's a Cubs fan. I should call him. I called him, and I said, hey, I got two Cubs tickets. He goes, I'm in. And uh, one of the challenges of going to the Cubs game is that uh, you waste two hours of your life getting there and two hours of your life getting back. And yet those four hours were redeemed, in this case, with rich conversation. I was so blessed by my friend. And I think he enjoyed it and was blessed as well. Man, we dove into it. We talked about God. We talked about the church. We talked about the truth of what it means to be in a relationship with God and how that happens. It was rich conversation. And when I, I got home, Cubs won, by the way, so I'm in a good mood, and I just thought, wow, Lord, you're growing me up. Little by little, I'm changing, and I'm heading in the right direction. And what if I had not been preoccupied with salvation? And what if I had missed that opportunity? How sad would that have been? Well, I want to challenge you that just maybe you can grow as well. Just maybe you can join me in this journey. And just maybe uh, as you're making those little decisions, you say, you know what? Let's do this instead. 
You say, but that's such a small decision. Yeah, a bunch of small decisions can have huge effects. Imagine with me if, I mean, we have thousands of people in our church, and what if the people of the Compass Church become more and more preoccupied with their own salvation, amazed at who they are in Christ, what they enjoy. They know this is God's business. It's his passion. It's what he does. They begin to see everybody around them as potential folks to be saved by God. And what if all of that change in perspective, that growth in perspective, leads to different decisions? And what if the cumulative effect of thousands of people making these little decisions differently yields an evangelistic awakening in our church? What if all of a sudden in this coming six months, More and more new people are invited by friends and come and learn and grow and seek and find. Oh, the potential of it makes my heart race. And you are a part of that win. You know, can I read the last verse? The last verse uh, of this chapter says this. It's a little gross. You can handle it. Verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Can you imagine Jonah sitting on the beach? (laughs) Sit with him for a moment. Jonah realizes, oh my, I'm a different man. Being saved, meditating for three days on salvation. I'm not seeing things the same way. As you sit on the beach with Jonah, can you say the same? Maybe your salvation is so distant in your past that you've become removed from the passion of that reality. It's the case with me. I was four years old when I cried out to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Four years old. In my case, that's 20 years ago. Maybe a little longer. It's been a long time. And when years have passed, sometimes it's not as fresh. It's not as real. It's not as passionate. And you need to cry out, as David did, restore the joy of my salvation. Connect me again to the fact that I am the rescued one. I was doomed and you saved me. Connect me anew to the fact that everybody I see is someone that can be saved by your grace, and that's your goal for their lives. Help me to understand, God, that you are the saving God. This is your specialty, your passion. Help me to see my life as a response to what you've done. And God, give me ideas and help me make decisions and say prayers and take bold, courageous initiative steps that I used to not do. But God, may the sum of these little obedient steps be beautiful work in the lives of many others. Shall we pray? God, good idea with Jonah. And God, do the same with us. We need your salvation, Lord. We just admit it. We need to see it. We need to feel it. We need to live it. And if it's been many years for us, somehow, God, through meditation, reflection, communion, prayer, Bible study, would you help us connect and grow our passion and the joy of our salvation again? 
And God, in the end, would you let it yield a zeal in me and the other leaders of our church and all the people of our church and folks who have been Christians a long time and brand new Christians, but just make the salvation preoccupation grow in us as a people. And we pray the result is a great spiritual awakening in our Nineveh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.